Welcome to the UGA BCM podcast, a ministry of the BCM at the University of Georgia. To find out more about us, follow us on Instagram at UGA BCM. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. Enough about all that stuff I said. This is a fun one. Who likes money? Y'all a bunch of liars. Thank you. Josiah and Ryan were honest. Y'all were like, I ain't asking that. That's a trick question. Right? I'm going to ask it again. Who likes money? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, money makes the world go around, right? Yeah. You got to have money to buy stuff, right? A lot of times you got to have money to make money, right? I mean, the, the reality is, is that we live in a world that's driven by the dollar. There's no question about it. What we're going to do tonight is look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through verse 24, and we're going to simply look at what I've titled poisonous wealth. Poisonous wealth. And in looking at this, one of the things that I want you to see tonight is that Jesus is going to spend these next six verses dealing with wealth. And he doesn't say anywhere that being wealthy is a sin. So if you walk out of here tonight and say, yep, Jesus said that money is, is, is an issue. Jesus says that money is the problem. Jesus said that, that m- having money is a sin. That, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, the reason for that is, is because the reality is, is that money in many ways does make and help ministry to happen. And so, I mean, we as a ministry, we have folks and churches and, 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 and individuals that give to us that allow us to have the resources to do ministry here at the University of Georgia. And so the reality is, is that we understand that money is something that we, we do need to survive. Nobody wants you to go hungry, right? For the sake of, hey, I'm going to be super spiritual, so I'm not going to make any money and I'm going to, you know, live in my parents' basement for the rest of the year, the, my life. That's not what we're saying here. But what Jesus is saying is that, that the pursuit of wealth and the love of wealth as the primary cause and driver in your life is a problem. It's a problem. Matter of fact, we know that 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, the love of money is the root of all evil. We know that that's what that tells us. We also know that if you go back to Joshua chapter 7, you read the story of Achan. Now, in the story of Achan, the, 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 the Jewish people, the Israelites, had went in and, and uh, they had uh, uh, destroyed the city of Jericho. And uh, they were basically told not to take anything. They, they weren't supposed to take anything. They weren't supposed to really save anybody other than the lady that lived on the wall that let the spies in, right? And so then they went to Ai, which was a much smaller town that, that was not fortified as well as Jericho was. And something happened. 33 of their men died and they got ran out of town. So when they get back to camp, they knew something was wrong. And so they started trying to figure out who did something they weren't supposed to do. And what they came to realize was that that Achan had taken for himself some of the things that God had told them not to take. And in the process of doing so, it didn't just affect Achan... But it affected others. His pursuit of wealth, his love of money, led to 33 soldiers dying. And not only that, but we find that when the people found out what happened, they took Achan, they took his children, and they took his livestock, and they killed them and burned them. For everybody to know, do what God says, don't fall in love with wealth. 
We also find in Acts chapter 5 the story of Ananias and Sapphira. In the story of Ananias and Sapphira, the, 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 the New Testament church there in Acts, they would, they would pool their money together to do ministry and to take care of one another. But one of the things that happened is, is that uh, we find in that story that there were others that were selling their land and selling their property and they were bringing all the proceeds to the church. And so Ananias and Sapphira went and sold their property. And then they came to the church and they presented their money to the church as if they were bringing it all. But the Bible tells us that they lied to the church and they lied to the Holy Spirit because they had kept some of that money back for themselves as profit. And so the Bible tells us that when they were confronted with their sin and with their love of money, what we find is that they were struck dead by the Holy Spirit. So here we find ourselves in the Old Testament and the New Testament, two primary examples of the love and pursuit of wealth literally leading to death. And it's within that context that we begin reading in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through verse 24, where Jesus says these words. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you tonight, Lord, that you help us to recognize tonight, Lord, that we cannot serve you and wealth. Lord, we understand that money is a tool that you give us. It is a resource that you give us to do ministry and to impact the lives of others. It is an avenue by which you have gifted us with the ability to make a difference in the lives of others so that we can then point them to the gospel. Lord, help us to recognize it as such. Help us to not live a life of greed. Lord, help us to not live a life in which we were just always trying to chase the next highest paying job. Lord, the next get rich quick scheme. And Lord, help us to live a life in which our love and desire for money does not cloud our minds and our heart and our soul. Lord, we love you. Bless us as we read this word, no matter how hard it may be for us to sometimes hear. In your name we pray. Amen. So why is the love of money poisonous? Why is the love of wealth poisonous? By the way, everything we read tonight and everything we talk about tonight is one of those sermons where it's not real fun to read. Because you know as well as I do that the reality is, is if you're offered two jobs and one pays you more than the other, you're going to have a hard time turning down the one that pays you more, right? And you know as well as I do, if there's an opportunity to make a little extra buck, what are we going to do? We're going to make a little extra buck, aren't we? And you know as well as I do that you live in a society, I live in a society, you live in a world, and I live in a world that if we are not careful, we begin to make decisions based upon the bottom line, based upon the dollar. And what Jesus tells us in this passage of Scripture is that wealth is dangerous, particularly not just wealth itself, but ultimately 
the pursuit of wealth and the love of wealth is dangerous. Here's why it's so poisonous. Number one, because it attacks the heart. Because it attacks the heart. Verse 19 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then look what verse 21 says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The love of wealth attacks the heart. Now we see the instruction that Jesus gives us is ultimately that treasure on earth will not last. Now we know that. We know that treasure on earth will not last, right? You've heard me say before probably, if you leave a car outside too long and you leave it in the rain and you leave it out there in just the the natural state of whatever the world is today, eventually it begins to rust, right? Begins to rust. My wife tells a story about how that when she used to drive to, she didn't drive, her brother was driving to school when she was younger, that the, the car that they drove, I think she said it was like an old Belvedere or something like that, the car that they drove literally had a spot in the floorboard where there was rust, there was a hole that had been created from rust. It was one of their parents' old cars, it set out in the drive forever, her brother would drive it, they'd head to school, and literally there was a hole in the bottom of it from the rust. She said, you could feel the wind blowing through that hole where your feet were. I used to joke with her, I said, well, I guess if you never, you know, if the brakes quit working, you could, you could go old Flintstones on them, right? Stick your feet down there, I don't think that'd work out too well, but you get the point. You take anything in this world, you leave it alone enough, what does it begin to do? It begins to rust. It begins to break down. Moth, dust, rust. It destroys. And so it doesn't really matter what you get in this life. It either will fall apart before you die, it will be destroyed before you die, or you'll die and you can't take it with you. Do you see what I'm saying? I used to joke with folks all the time. I'd say, hey, yeah, you go out. You make all that big buck, right? You go buy your, uh, your boat, right? You go get your fancy house, right? And then you just might happen to be that guy that dies when he's 40 or 45 years old, and then your wife's going to get it all, and then she's going to marry somebody else, and somebody else is going to have your big boat that you paid for, right? It happens, doesn't it? Why? Because you can't take it with you. You're like, I can't believe he said that. Am I wrong? You can't take it with you. One of the things that drives me more nuts than anything is when you go to a church and you're trying to help a church out and the position that I'm in ministry-wise, a lot of times we get opportunities to talk to pastors, talk to college pastors, etc. And you, you, you find out about churches, especially when they're looking for pastors or looking for staff positions or when they're struggling and they're like, hey, how can we you know, get this thing going? And, and one of the things that drives me nuts more than anything is the church that's dying numerically, that's not having imp- any impact in the community, and then you ask them how much money they got in the bank, and they literally got millions of dollars sitting in the bank. Those churches are all over the place. And it makes no sense to me. Because money is to be a tool and to be a resource to reach people with the gospel, not to hoard. You see what I'm saying? And if it's that way in the church, it's that way in your life and my life too. But here's what happens. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is. Now we flip that around and we get confused. 
We, we think where our heart is, there our treasure is. Do you know why when you get a job, it's so important for you to tithe? And not to us, we're not a church, right? But to your local church. You know why it's so important for you to tithe? If you got a part-time job right now, I know you're a broke college student, but you ought to be giving. Did you know that? You ought to be giving. Do you know why that's so important? Because this right here tells us where your treasure is, there your heart is. You know how you tell where somebody's priorities are? You know, back in the old days, we had like those paper checkbooks. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And uh, with online banking today, nobody keeps, uh, hardly anybody I know keeps like a running tally in the back of their checkbook. Zach Ellington, the finance guy back there, says, I keep a running tally in my checkbook. He just raised his hand, right? My wife used to, and then she got so frustrated because somehow our bank kept saying we had more money than the checkbook said we had, even after she'd figure everything out. And we'd have this little cushion, and she's like, I don't know where this cushion is coming from. And I was like, I don't know where that cushion is coming from either. So finally she was like, I mean, we'd go back and check the math 20,000 times, and it just wouldn't make any sense. And so finally she was like, you know what? I'm going to trust the bank, especially since they say I got more than what this says I got, right? Y'all get what I'm saying? I'm not talking about, oh, a check hadn't cleared yet. No, I'm not, that's not what I'm talking Like, literally, it's like, I, where do we get that couple extra hundred bucks, right? I don't understand. This is nice. But anyways, <laughs> if you would go take a check registry out of the back of somebody's checkbook back 10, 15 years ago when that was something that people actually all did, you could begin to see where they spent their money. And you could begin to see where their priorities are. Does that make sense? I give this advice to student pastors all the time when I get a chance to talk to student pastors. They say, how do you budget? How do you budget? And I say, you budget according to your priorities. One of the things in student ministry, if you're not careful, that will happen. For some of you young guys who are going to student ministry, you need to hear this. Is that if you're not careful, what will happen is, is you'll forget that part of your job is to equip the parents to be parents as well. It's not just to hang out with a bunch of teenagers and play a bunch of games all the time, Right? Or even do just a bunch of Bible studies with them all the time. But there's a parental element to what you're doing in ministry. And so one of the things that I always tell student pastors anytime I get a chance to talk to them about ministry is this. If you want to put an emphasis upon giving your parents tools and resources to disciple their own children, then you have to budget accordingly. Why? Because where you budget shows where your priorities are. Does that make sense? Go to your online banking account and go look at your expenses over the last few months and ask yourself, where are my priorities? You'll find out. Right now, I can guarantee you a chunk of your priorities, whether it's through your own money, whether it's through scholarship money, or whether it's through your parents, is guess what? In education, isn't it? Right? Is that a bad thing? No. But see, what we find here is this is that ultimately the heart, which is the center of our emotion, will be where our treasure is. Why? Because where you spend your money, you'll begin to care. You'll begin to care. And so when you begin to spend your money on things that aren't of God, on things that are fading, guess what happens? That's what you care about. That's what you care about. If Satan can get you to focus more on things here on this earth that don't matter in the long run, 
then Satan can win your heart. He can win your heart. Do you know why that when, uh, when you're planning a mission trip at a church, a lot of times, even if somebody is in dire need financially and you really want them to go, a lot of times what you will do as a pastor, or you should do as a pastor, is you'll, you'll hear this phrase used, we want them to have a little skin in the game. We want them to give something. What does that mean? When you give something, you have a little skin in the game, guess what that means? You know what it means? It means you're invested. Right? It means you care. Right? Does that make sense? It means you care. Why? Because the love of wealth attacks the heart because ultimately where our treasure is, there our heart is also. Not only does it attack the heart, but it attacks the mind. Verse 22 and 23 says this. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. The mind is the center of our thought. The heart is the center of emotion. The mind is the center of our thought. And we go from verse 19 to verse 21 where he's talking about money. He's talking about not storing up treasure here on earth, but storing up treasure in heaven where it can't be stolen, where it can't have moth and rust destroy it. And then if we do that, then that's where our heart will be also. And then all of a sudden, in verse 24, he talks again about you can't serve God in wealth. And right in the middle here, it seems like it's out of place because in verse 22 and 23, he starts talking about the eye being the lamp of the body. And if you're not careful here, you'll be like, man, this doesn't, excuse me, make a lot of sense because here Jesus is and it's like he's talking about wealth and then all of a sudden he chases this, 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 uh, this rabbit over here and he goes, yeah, oh, by the way, the, the eye, is, it's the center of the body and, it, and, and we want the eye to be clear and not to be full of darkness because if it's full of darkness, then the body's full of darkness. And then it's like, oh, but hold on a second. Oh, I forgot. I got to get back to the point. If you're not careful, you'll think Jesus is preaching like Tommy preaches sometimes and he's chasing a rabbit, but that's not what Jesus is doing. See, what we realize in this passage when we look at verse 19 down through verse 24 is this entire section of passage is about money. And we see this all come together nicely in just a second, but before I get to that, you've got to understand that ultimately that when we think about the eye, what do we think about the eye as a pathway to? The what? The brain. The mind. When you see things, where do they go directly? Into the mind. Right? And so the image that we're getting here is an image of clear vision versus blurry vision. And when you begin to chase after money, not only will it poison and attack your heart, but it will poison and attack your mind because you will begin to see through blurred vision instead of clear vision. Because if you're not careful when you love money enough, what will happen? You'll begin to take shortcuts, won't you? And when you begin to take those shortcuts, what happens is, is that the eye being the lamp of the body, instead of your eye being clear and your body being full of light, your eye will be bad and your body will be full of darkness. See, what money does for us is money begins to attack our heart because we begin to love that wealth. We begin to love what it brings. We begin to love the being comfortable in the world that we're in and having all the stuff that we want to have. And in the midst of that, what happens is, is we begin to see the world through blurred vision. And we begin to think wrong. 
And we begin to prioritize that which is not important instead of that which is important. And the image that Jesus is giving here is that when your eyes become blurry and you have darkness in your eyes and you can no longer see clear as God would have you to see, it shows up in your whole body. It shows up in your whole body. You can think about people right now whether it's on the news, whether it's on social media, whether it's maybe in your own life, maybe it's back home, who it seemed like on the surface were good people. And maybe they begin to have a struggle with some financial area of their life. And maybe it just so happened that circumstances brought them to a place of maybe they were the treasure of a booster club. Or maybe they were the treasurer of some local charity. And we've read the stories, have we not? Where, man, I just had this financial need. Man, I just was in this little mess. So what I'm going to do is, is for just a moment, I'm going to take a little off the top here, and I'm going to take care of this issue in my life. And I'll put it back one day. But their vision has become so blurred that then they begin to feel kind of good about, man, look, this was easier than I thought it was. And I'll put it back one day. And then they take a little more off the top. And then they go, ooh, shoot, I might get caught. i got to figure out how to cook the books and make this look right. And sometimes those scandals go on for years and years before somebody then opens a book up and goes, oh, boy. That's... 40, 50, 100, 200, $300,000 missing. Where'd it go? And I would dare say in the majority of those cases, those individuals didn't start out thinking, I'm going to steal $50,000, $100,000, dollars $200,000 from some charity or some nonprofit or some booster club. In the majority of those cases... They probably just thought, man, I just need a little extra cash, and I'm going to give it back. And then look where they find themselves. Why? Because the love of wealth attacks the heart, and the love of wealth attacks the mind. And see, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And if your eyes become dark and they become blurred, then your whole body will become dark as well. But not only that, but the love of wealth that attacks the soul. Verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Your soul is the center of action. Here in verse 24, we see the word serve two masters, or the phrase serve two masters. We see that he will be devoted or loyal to one and despise the other. See, our our heart is the center of our emotion. The mind is the center of the thought. And wealth can attack both of those. The love of wealth can attack both of those. But it can also attack the soul, the center of our action. Why? Because our actions define us. Why? Because our actions show who we are and what we believe. Why? Because our actions ultimately are are the things that tell others about what are priorities in our life. The question becomes, who are you going to serve? The question becomes, why are you going to do what you do? 
And Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. If you try to serve God and wealth, you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. Money makes people do crazy things. I gave the example, didn't I? Money makes people lie. Money makes people cheat, doesn't it? Money makes people make bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. And here's what's interesting about this. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, Jesus says these words. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And what does money attack? Your heart, your soul, and your mind. I believe wholeheartedly that what Satan has done, particularly in the West, particularly in the United States of America, is he has taken what could be a great tool and resource for sharing the gospel, for spreading the good news of salvation, And he has infiltrated our hearts and our minds and our souls by simply causing us to get comfortable with how we live, to enjoy the lifestyle that we live. And it's caused us, when it comes to determining what we're going to do and whether we're going to serve God or serve money, many times it's caused us to make the decision to serve money instead of God. See, the question today is, what are you going to love with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind? Are you going to love money with all your heart, your soul, and your mind? Or are you going to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind? There are some of you that are sitting in this room today, and you are making decisions about the rest of your life and your future, not based on what God's will is in your life, But right now, you're making those decisions based upon how much money can you make in your life. You are. You are. Now look, I'm not telling you that if you've got two job offers and you can leverage both of those for the gospel, that you shouldn't take the one that pays you more. That's not what I'm telling you. But what I am telling you is this. Is that if you find yourself in a position where the first question you ask is how much are they going to pay? You need to check your heart, you need to check your mind, and you need to check your soul. Because that's a problem. Say, Tommy, are you telling me that I should quit what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? That's not what I'm saying. It may be that God is positioning you in such a place and in such a way that you're going to get to have a future that is very comfortable. But dadgummit, if that's what God does, you ought to be giving a whole lot of it away. Some of us, God can't trust with a lot. Or excuse me, some of us, God won't allow to have a lot because he can't trust with a lot. You know what I mean? Some of us in the room, 
If God gave you more, you'd just spend more. You know I'm telling the truth. God doesn't call you to hoard it either. You know what God calls you to do? God calls you to live a life in which you love Him with all your heart, soul, and mind. And you make decisions based upon what He's called you to do. Based upon the doors and the opportunities that He opens. Not just this massive search for wealth. It's not the point. I had an uncle who was very successful. Uh Uh-oh, I'm knocking stuff off the thing over here. I'm going to get out of the way so I'll quit messing with it. Very successful in life. And he used to give money away more than anybody ever met in my life. It was crazy. He was the guy, any any of y'all got the, the uncle or the aunt or the friend or the family member that like you go home and like they'll shake your hand like when you go home from college and like you walk away and there's like cash in your hand. Anybody got that? Man, y'all are missing out. I'm just telling you. I had that. My Uncle Mike was that guy. And it was the funniest thing in the world because like I'd see him, I'd go home for the weekend and he'd, he'd give you a hug and kiss you on the cheek. He always kissed everybody on the cheek. Like if you didn't know the man, you'd be like, dude, is he like an old creep? Like because he was kissing everybody on the cheek. Men, women, like everybody. He'd give you a hug, kiss you on the cheek. He'd have done good in like a lot of those Central American countries. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like some of y'all are with us in Guatemala. They're like, yep, yep. And then he'd say, hey, Tommy, have a safe trip back. And he'd always give me a hug, kiss me on the cheek, and he'd shake my hand. And I always knew if after the hug and the kiss on the cheek, the handshake was coming in, I always knew. I was like, yeah, buddy. Woo, I'm going to go eat when I get back. Boom. And he'd give me some money. And I'd go, Uncle Mike, you didn't have to do that. I'd put it in my pocket. <laughs> and I'd walk off. I'd go get in my car, head on back to Rome. I was like, man, this is good. My Uncle Mike also had a bunch of health problems that happened throughout his life. And uh, ended up dying at a very young age. And uh, he had two different periods in his life where um, financially things got really bad. One of those being right before he'd passed away. He got cancer, passed away from cancer at a really young age and I've looked back on his life and I've thought, man, there is no telling how many people in his short amount of time on this earth that he blessed. He'd take guys in, let them live with him, get them back on their feet, send them on out. Every church he ever served in, when I say served in, he was a deacon, Sunday school teacher, etc. Man, he was always one of the top givers. Like he was that guy. And he didn't brag about it. He just give you the shirt off his back. He was the guy that every year, so my, my dad and his brothers and his sister, they grew up in the projects in Columbus. They lived in an area called Bibb City, which was a mill town that, honestly, that was one of the nicer places they lived. 
They lived in Wilson apartments and Peabody apartments. If you're from the Columbus area and know anything about the Columbus area, if you go to Wilson or Peabody today, you're probably going to get shot. It wasn't much different back then. And my Uncle Mike, every year at Christmas, would go back to the apartment that they lived at in Wilson Apartments. And he would knock on the door, and whoever was living there that year would open the door, and he'd say, hey, I'm Mike. I just want to bless you this Christmas. What do your kids need? And he'd get all the brothers together and my aunt together, and they'd go shop. And I watched at my Uncle Mike's funeral because he had done that every year. And so for his funeral, what his uh, kids asked was, hey, instead of giving flowers and all that kind of stuff, we want you to give Christmas presents for this year. Because he had died right before Christmas. And what I got to tell you is, is that that Christmas... It wasn't just the apartment (laughs) that they used to live in that got blessed. Because literally at that funeral, there was this casket. He had a band. He wanted a band to play at his funeral. Like it was like us. I'm serious. It was nuts. It was a funeral and it was like what you hear in here. It was crazy. Right? With a little Southern gospel thrown in there too because that's what he loved. And literally it was instruments and, and us, like those of us that were speaking, And the rest of the platform was nothing but Christmas gifts. He understood. You're not going to take it with you. You're not going to take it with you. See, God, if he blesses you with wealth, it's not blessing you so that you can live the most comfortable life of those around you. He's not blessing you so that you can have a big fancy house. He's not blessing you so that you can eat at the nicest places. He's not blessing you so that you can have the fanciest of cars. If you happen to be one of the ones who is blessed financially, He is blessing you so that you can use that as a tool and as a resource to share his love and the gospel to those around you. And if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, what will happen is, as I've said before, you will hold the things of this world with an open hand. And as God chooses to take, God will also choose to give. And when God chooses to give, you will recognize that it wasn't yours to begin with. And you'll be willing to give it away. That's what God's called us to do. That's what he's called us to do. Now, I understand the need for a big house. I got six people in my family. I got four children and three dogs. I get it. So I'm also not telling you if you have a family of like 10 to live in a one bedroom. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. Whether you live in a one bedroom apartment or whether you live in a five bedroom, six bedroom, seven bedroom or 12 bedroom house. 
Use what God has given you to serve Him. And quit asking questions about what God wants you to do with your life based on what the rest of the world says, which is how much money can you make. But instead, ask the question, God, what do you want me to do with the rest of my life based upon, God, how much of a difference can I make through you? So the question is, who do you love? Do you love God? Do you love Christ? Or do you love money? Don't let Satan get a stronghold in your life because of your love of wealth. If you're a Christian in here today, there's some of you that like, you're like, Tommy, this sucks. Because I don't like anything you just had to say. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. I just read what he said. Hey, do business with him. We're going to sing in a minute. Take some time just to be like, God, hey, break my heart. God, I'm sorry for making things important that aren't important. God, I'm willing to serve you. And hey, here's the deal. Our Father owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. That's what the Bible says. He's going to take care of you. We're going to talk, I think it's week after next, about worry. It's amazing. Jesus goes from quit worrying about wealth to quit worrying. For some of you, that's what you need to do is say, God, I'm sorry. I've been worrying so much about what's going to come next in my life and so much, so forth, and I just need to trust you. Do you know why we can trust him? To live a life in which we're willing to give rather than always take. You know why we can do that? Because he gave his all for us. The next time you get caught up on wealth, the next time you get caught up on a paycheck, the next time you get caught up on how comfortable you live, think about this. Jesus Christ sat at the right hand of the Father in heaven. A place that we're told streets of gold. Right? Anything and everything you'd ever need. A perfect place. And he gave it all up to come to this broken, sinful world for you and for me. And he didn't have to. But he willingly gave it up. Talk about living a life with open hands. Not just with open hands, but with open arms. Do you see what I'm saying? So if you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, before we ever talk about wealth, why don't we start with trusting the Savior who gave it all up for you? Would you give him your life today? 
Would you call on him and ask him to be your Lord and Savior, to forgive you of your sin and to save you? Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you enjoyed this week's message, share it with a friend. To stay up to date with us, follow us on Instagram at UGABCM. We hope to see you next Monday night at Gathering.